Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Send it! Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognar the Young, the Young Grognar, kicking it to you live with an episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, the Herald, and the quest, the past. Uh, so let's talk about what happened in our past. Well, the party, uh, having traveled to the land of the mortals, the uh, realms of twilight here, not that twilight with a bunch of diamond-skinned weirdos who are good at baseball, but the other kind of twilight, the scary one with, well, scary tree monsters that apparently don't like invaders. Party arrive in this land with Ira, hoping to speak with the immortals and maybe get a little assistance with dealing with the Herald of Steel, maybe warn them of whatever may be coming their way. But instead, Ira. Uh, upon arrival is not there upon arrival and instead spooky tree monsters uh, attack the party party made to manage to evade in a really awesome crossing a river scene that's totally awesome and then they travel through the forest uh anton and norhill fail some sort of a saving throw but we don't really know what happened with that one totally not anything bad um uh, and then lastly our party after traveling through what may be something of a reflection of the elven wood of the acerese there um the uh Thelvir would uh the party um come across a strange rocky uh uh sort of a, a rocky outcropping here where they find uh, a body of water that looks very familiar reminds them of a time and a place where they had gotten into a rather brutal fight and as if to add punctuation to this distant memory a strange celestial looking tiger not Panther. I know I slipped up and said Panther the first time. But Tiger pops out of the rocky outcropping in the cave and looks to them with a sense of intelligence that leads the party to believe their weird rec recognition of it is similar to its weird recognition of them. So we begin with the party sort of standing off, looking face-to-face -face with this strange spectral purplish-looking Panther. Um... And the thing Wait, just stands is, up on the rock. Is this a panther down. or a tiger? Oh, shit, I said it again. Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> wow, I thought you did that on purpose. That sounds like a Salvatorian the... slip right there. Just yeah, right. <laughs> it's the it's the, the fox jackal issue all over again. It depends on which way you look at it. So anyway, it shouldn't. <laughs> so the tiger looks down from the rocky outcropping towards you guys. What do you do? Clica, uh, I guess we'll step forward and I guess say, um, is that you, Sirithal? 
the tiger doesn't move, but instead in a very feline-ish way, flops its butt down and its tail begins to kind of go back and forth and it hisses at you um, in a way that... Uh, does anybody have uh, knowledge of nature or animal handling? Boy, does one of us have one of those skills. I am useless. <laughs> Jarzak has that, right? He sure does. Hey, Jarzak, do you have animal handling or nature? Uh, yeah, but it, I don't think it's going to matter. With a five, Good. nature. I'm so okay. glad you took proficiency in nature, man. Hey, someone had to do it. <laughs> well, plus three uh, is okay, that... man, but my two of a roll is real bad. <laughs> so Jarzak sees it and says, watch out, it's pissed. And the thing just sits there kind of waving its tail timidly. Uh, I will say, um, at this point, Norhill feels a strange twinge of curiosity come over him. And while he might normally feel less inclined to investigate a situation like this, some strange force within him seems to lead him to believe that maybe, just maybe it's a good idea to go investigate further. Yeah, I, I was just about to say, Norhill sort of, uh, yeah, yeah, cautiously, you know, approaches uh, the creature, you know, always from the front, uh, not from the side. Um, you know, you know, yeah, hands uh, sort of, you know, held out like, it's okay, uh, okay, buddy, uh, and addresses it. Be you friend, enemy, or mere beast? The tiger hisses again at you and then jumps off the rocks, splashes into the pool before you, and covers you with cold morning water in a still little pond, just splashes you with that. And as it splashes into the water, it kind of shakes off like a dog and starts to, you know, lazily walk towards you. And as it nuzzles into your chest, while hissing again, it nearly knocks you onto your butt with the force of its of its might, just by like its you know physical staring. Um, and with that, it just looks back at the rest of the party and hisses at you guys all plainly again. Click is just gonna uh, walk over and give the the tiger a hug. Yeah, then Norhill pets the tiger and says, "Well, at least it's friendly." And with that, the. Uh, Tiger definitely welcomes the hug and everything. So with that, the party, I guess, are just standing here with a weird purplish, bluish, orangish tiger. And the thing just kind of sits down and again, just starts tilting its head and looking at each of you guys in turn and hissing. Klika feels bad that she no longer has the uh, amulet or necklace that she laid on Sirithal's grave would have been better suited for the spirit tiger, I guess. Does your ability to commune with all creatures work on immortal beings? Um, Clea could try, but she kind of didn't know what we were going to run into. So she she was going to hold on to that. But I think uh, I could take a whack at it, but 
I, I feel like we're wasting our time talking to a big cat. We have that, we have that tower to go over to. Right, oh, hold on. This is not just any big cat. This is an immortal big cat. It's the greatest of all big cats, or one of them. And it um, knew to take a bath before having visitors, which is very impressive. Klinko really likes this. Well, noble beast of the land of immortals, uh, uh, we, we seek an audience with the greatest of your kind. Uh, perhaps if you understand my speech, you can lead us to them. Cat uh, gets up off of its haunches there and walks over to one of the bigger trees, plants both of its paws onto it, and starts raking at it with its claws, stretching and sort of sharpening its own claws as it does. Once it finishes, it lets out a very large yawn and a yowl and sits down lazily looking back at each of you. Hmm. Well, that didn't work. The pinnacle of gaming. Watching a tiger be a lazy shit. Yes. (laughs) Well, what would the party like to do now? Edson's gonna cast tongues and he's gonna yell at it. Nice. Very, very good. Edson's going to attempt to wrangle a cat. Hell yeah. Here we go. Here, he's gonna cast tongues and he's gonna try talking to the cat. He's like, What do you want? What do you want here? Do you need to eat? Are you looking for something? Because we have somewhere to go. Time is ticking. I don't know what you want, you silly big cat. So I'm imagining this is what it looks like when when Anton is easily agitated and sort of an out-of-character uh, situation for Anton where he sort of lets a little bit of his uh, agitation and impatience get the better of him and he starts just meowing at a cat really angrily and loud, just meow, 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 meow. And the cat just looks back at him with a dirty look. And the cat just stands up, walks over to you, and just like puts one big ugly paw onto your chest and kind of like shoves you back a little bit <laughs> and just hisses a couple times. Again, it's the mad. same general hissing tone as before. He gets mad and dreads, like shoved back at it. He's like, Don't shove me. I'm the one talking to you. I think they're going to be best friends, Jarzak. Yeah, you're probably right, Klika. I told, I told you guys it's ready to attack at any moment. He's playing think... with its food. Klika's just excited that Anton or uh, Norhill joined in on one of her and Jarzak's sidebars. Because it's not like it was ever closed. It was just that the other two members never had anything to say. Well, as fascinating as this has been, I am, am afraid that I have to agree with Anton that time is of the essence. Um, we can see what we think is the true version of the spire that we saw back on the material plane, right? Yeah, I mean, you you have a general idea of where it is. Because you guys are in such a dense forest, you've just been relying on Klika and her apparent survival skills to get to that place. Ha-cha-cha. Well, so, if we just keep heading in the direction of where we think the spire is, perhaps eventually we will run across... Um, other denizens of the land of immortals that can be helpful to us. Enough. 
Okay. So if the party's ready to leave here, I mean, it's about midday moving into the late afternoon. So the party may have to set up camp soon enough. Um, get, uh, get a few hours uh, beneath our boots. Progress is progress. Uh, okay. Well, it was good seeing you for the first time, or maybe again, Big Tiger, who may or may not be an elf we knew. I hope you and Anton can stay friends forever. Klika gives a gracious bow and tries to start leading towards the tower for a bit. They're both shoving each other back and forth like a three stooges bit. As uh as Klika does the gracious little bow, the tiger walks up and just headbutts you in a way that like knocks you on your butt. And the tiger, in a sort of weird little head nod, kind of brushes you over and then tries to like pick you up onto its neck, using only the brute force of its own neck to do so. And just kind of launches you onto its back. Okay. Klika lives here now. You're seated backwards. That's fine. And the tiger just starts (laughs) moseying off north in the general direction you were headed. Goodbye. Wait, hold on. That is our survivalist. Okay. So it seems like the tiger is just kind of walking wherever you want to direct it at this point. So if you'd like to roll a survival check to see if we're keeping on task, go ahead and do so. Pa-ching. Ten. Okay. So following the general course that you were going before, every once in a while there's small openings in the forest which allow for the more apt people in the party to climb up wide-bowed trees to climb up and look. And you can see that the uh, the spire in the distance is exactly where you had hoped it would be based on where you were headed. And the party continue off throughout the spring season. And as the uh, spring kind of fades off into fall, uh, off into the summer, and you feel like a heat wave kind of slowly come on, almost from the ground up, the leaves on the trees are at full size, full amounts of green with the weird sickly colors that kind of run through it, almost like ribbing colors on a chameleon with blues, reds, yellows, and pinks. Um, the party realized that uh, as the hour comes to close, that the leaves slowly begin to wither and become the most brilliant golden copper and brass colors, almost taking on like a sort of metallic hue as they fall from the trees. And as the evening begins to come on to you guys, um, you come across something of a small clearing in the distance. And in this distance, you see something that looks rather unsightly and strange considering everything you've seen as you see something of a small cabin out in the middle of a clearing with a little bit of pasture land and some small little farming area set up you can see in this area that there's really not much going on apart from some very very gentle lights going on in the windows of this little cabin in the distance Safe harbor, perhaps? Well, uh, maybe we won't have to camp out tonight. Maybe we can have a fire the whole night because we'll be indoors. And then Klika covers her mouth 
<laughs> as if she just told a big secret about what we've been doing with the fire the whole time we've been on this entire adventure after Anton goes to sleep. I was going to say, Anton just overhears the fact that they put out the fire every single night you've ever camped together. I don't know if that really bothers Anton or not, but I imagine this is a moment. You're still muted, by the way, Ronnie. He has a look of rage in his eyes. <laughs> Little sparks on his fingers. He's not. He's just like. <laughs> All right. Well, the party stand creepily in the bushes, looking at the farm in the distance. The farm itself looks to be like a hundred or so feet away. But yeah. Best that we announce ourselves if we wish to avail if we we wish to be availed of hospitality anton blows the horn oh honestly <laughs> on tiger back the shadow blade wielding goblin warrior sorceress <laughs> approaches the farmstead backwards hi ho sirathol um <laughs> I don't think he's gonna blow the horn, but I think he's just gonna kind of go straight to the, like the front door. I don't think he's gonna even wait. Okay, Anton just—I love that Norhill's just like I think we should go make our presence known. Anton's already stomping towards the place, like put on my fucking fire. I'll put on your fucking fire. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you a fire. I'll give you the biggest fire you've ever seen. And at this point, it seems very clear that normally Klika would be the one to approach a home and speak, but it seems Anton, again, uncharacteristically, is very, uh, very short patienced in this one and just sort of hurries at full speed, jostle down to this farm, feeling the cold of winter slowly coming towards you guys as you oh all begin God. to approach or breach the uh, the the woodland here and start heading your way to the to the uh, to the farmland. You can see the first few flurries of snow falling from the sky. As if two hours ago, it wasn't like warm outside. And as His you guys approach the rising, you what? His blood pressure oh, yeah. is rising. It's, like, it's, say, it's dark. It's cold. Anton's pissed. Um, but at this point, Anton approaches the front door, and the wood carvings on the door seem to be intricate in a way that somebody taking a thousand years of a lifetime to craft such a door would have done. Um, but overall, the homestead's kind of simple in nature. A squat, single-story home with thatched roof. It's just, it's pretty simple stuff. It seems like in odd little facets and corners of this home, intricate details are put in. Randomly, like one of the windows has perfectly made stained glass. You know, the front door having the carvings on it. The doorknob itself being golden. It's like this place has just odd little baubles that show you that whoever lives here is a certain care for this sort of luxury and this sort of craftsmanship. But the rest of it shows that the simplistic lifestyle of a farmer is definitely still here. And as Anton walks up and approaches the door, you can hear the creaking of boards inside as if somebody else is walking around inside. And can I tell from looking at the door if there's like a specific language or if it's just random symbols and art and there's no really like. Well, I mean, as you look it over, it seems to be Elvish script. Uh-oh. But oddly enough, it seems like there's also like some goblin in there. And it also seems like there's some halfling in there. So it's just a weird hodgepodge of like different series as if looking at like a cut away of like a tree trunk where you see all the different rings. It's almost as if like 
over time with all the different rings of the door and its details, it's like different people have scribbled their name on the bathroom wall. Yeah, I'm thinking about some kind of graffiti. Really nice graffiti. And then he takes a look in one of the windows before he starts staring to knock on the door to see because he heard a heard the footsteps. Is can he tell if someone's in there from like any of the windows? Yeah. Uh, when you take a quick peek through the window like a pervert, uh, you see a couple of people walking around. And... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, you see a couple of people walking around and one of them walks over to the hearth and tosses a couple of logs onto a fire. And the other one comes up behind them and hugs them from behind and sort of embraces them warmly. And one of them walks back over to the table and starts to dress the table. And another one begins to lay out bowls. And it seems like they're prepping for dinner. Anton, are you going to knock? Yeah, he's going to knock. Not like a douchebag, though. He'll just, like, knock. Say, that, sounded, that sounded very threatening. Like, oh, I'm going to knock. Anton is <laughs> no. the one who knocks. <laughs> just kicks the door in. God, no. That's just being rude. He's going to knock. Okay. Um, so as you knock at the door... You hear a couple of short mumbles behind the door and the door opens slowly and you see what could only be described as like a more perfect elf on the other side wearing very, very simple clothing, but with hair of like the most perfect goldenrod color that flares off into darker streaks of like red and auburn, but their eyes are almost golden irises and they look to you probably about five foot four, five foot five. And with the physique and sort of the uh, the chiseled attributes of a man, looks back at you, um, and he, in a very, very sort of honest and kind tone, with a smile on his face, he says, Seven, I don't know how Oh, shit. How long does his tongues last? I wonder if I could switch languages after trying to talk to a cat. Meow, 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 meow. Damn, it's the cat it's, people It lasts for an hour. Were we walking for over an hour? Yes. Does Kalika recognize the language? Um, does Kalika speak Celestial? No. Oh, I shit. I do speak Celestial. I do, because I'm a fucking cleric of the light. I know exactly what he's saying. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, that actually sounds like, good evening. What brings you here on this fine night? Everybody else hears, blah, 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 blah. but way more heavenly. So he's like, oh, <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Gregorian chanting, but it's a language. So terrifying. Anson begins to speak, and he's a little bit cut off guard by that. I don't, I don't, I think he's, I think it's very rare he has ever had to speak celestial. So he's a little bit caught off guard. He like has to kind of brush up on it. He's like, um, we seem to have lost our way in this land and we're hoping for some guidance. I, but I see that I, I think you're getting ready for dinner. I don't want to disturb your time, but we, we have to find a spire. And with that, he has a confused look on his face, but a confused look as if like he's really trying to help you. So he's nodding with every word that you say. And his eyebrows have like perfectly furrowed to make like 
two, you know what I mean? Two slashes that are like just an upside down V. Like he's just, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then with that, he turns behind him and like kind of waves for this lady in the room who looks pretty well, almost identical to him. She comes over just a little bit shorter than him and a little bit more slim and petite. And she walks over and she greets you warmly and she says, hello, what brings you here? And he just kind of like shakes his head. He says, no, he needs a meal and a place to stay. They seek the spire. And with that, she just kind of looks gas, like she gasps, her mouth is agape and she turns to you and she says, oh, I would love for you to eat some of my food. Please join us. Can I make a check? <laughs> I guess so. We're not in the Fey realm. Friendly. It should be fine. I don't know. It's way worse. Just to make sure I'm not There's like... just, just a human baby in the pot. <laughs> Time for dinner. I have to ask. When in Rome. Well, I got, I got, <laughs> I got a 14, so I just want to make sure. These Let's people seem to be utterly charming and kind-hearted. God, they're fools. Okay. <laughs> Anson just almost insult these poor fools. <laughs> and he says, thank poor you. Fools. And, <laughs> so he just says to himself in common, then he, um, and then he turns to the group and he says, it looks like these all speak celestial. A language I never thought would come in this handy. As he says, they're offering us food and shelter. Hopefully, they can give us information on the spire. He kind of goes back to Twelves and gives him a quick nod. He says, "Thank you for your hospitality," and then taps. His I will foot. say, and you guys, and you mentioning the fact that they're elves. They're not elves. They look very similar oh. to them, but these are like hyper elves. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I really don't know. Um, I guess you could roll religion on it, and Jarzak could probably do uh nature, and Klika could probably pull off Arcana. These are I religion. think that would all check out. Oh my I God. Mean, they, they, <laughs> they are immortals. There's an argument to be made that everything that lives here natively is like a demigod. Clunker got a soft 20. Nice. Got tan. 10. I'm just more shocked by the fact we know the same language. <laughs> I mean, they look they look very similar to elves, but what Klika can tell is that these must be what could be referred to as Eldrin. But yeah, what you said before about them being immortals is a lot closer to this. This is like the purified form of elves. I'm taking some creative liberties with the Eldrin from what fucking has happened to them with fifth edition and fourth edition and all that but uh yeah from what clica knows of them they are sort of like spiritual elves that exist in the realms beyond and the elves that you know are the ones who have made it to the realm of mortals and have done their best there so these ones are the ones that stayed home and as you can tell they're like you know like bold font elves with some italics like they're just like extra swallow but every, from what you know, every letter in the word has some kind of accent mark on it. But from what you know of the Eldrin, especially after meeting these two or really seeing these two, um, they are very well impacted by their uh, environment. And seeing these guys living in the realms of the immortals here, the realms of Twilight, 
it seems like seeing these ones, they may be something of a spring into summer kind of tone. But as winter outside seems to be coming on a lot heavier with an inch or so of snow, um, the party walk into the home and the entire party, except for Anton, well, I guess Anton and the uh, tiger can understand, but the tiger ain't going to really help you guys that much. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, you don't the know woman, that. But the woman introduces herself and says, my name is Lindia. And this is my husband, Theruvi. And she says, we don't really know where you've come from. As she looks over and sees a dwarf amongst her ranks and a half-orc and a goblin, as well as Anton. I guess not one of you except for the tiger really fits here. But she just kind of gives everybody a smile and a nod and curiously, you know, sits down and looks to you guys eagerly as if you all were just about to tell her something important. And noticing that nobody understands a word she's saying except for Anton, she sort of uh, cracks a smile and looks over at Anton and says, are they not followers? No, we come from a different realm, the land of Amaroth. They speak, and myself, speak common. And with that, they just kind of sit there and stare at you and they say, right, but they do not worship the immortals? They, they worship the immortals. It's just not... not like every Sunday, just like... <laughs> that are worshipped in my land. Yeah. Or so that <laughs> she just kind of, again, sort of like nods a couple times, realizes that she's gotten a little ahead of herself, realizes that there's food in the pot that she hasn't fed you guys and she like leaps up and rushes over grabs extra bowls and start to scoop more food into it and Theruvi walks over to you guys and puts a hand on the shoulders of Norhill and Jarzak and gives you guys kind of a rough shake on the shoulders and smiles to both of you he says something that neither of you understand but Anton understands that he says you will eat well tonight we are great cooks and with that, he walks over and helps spoon some of the uh, some of the some of the soup into the bowls. And what he brings over is sort of a hearty kind of potato-ish kind of soup, where there's like you know different earthy little vegetables inside of the mix, like carrots and and whatnot. But it's also got a really strong uh, herbal taste to it, something that's kind of rather elevated, you know, like somebody used some truffle oil or something like that. I love truffle oil. That's delicious. If we could all, if we could all taste the truffle oil, we yeah. all know. But again, what I would say is this: uh, coming from you guys, well, I guess Charzak's the only one who hates it. But everybody <laughs> else knows. Well, well, here's the thing: I'll also say I think Jarzak's overall disdain and taste starts to kind of feel different. Jarzak, for the first time, tastes this, and it doesn't taste disgusting. It tastes like very bland, like his his tongue is severely burned and he's trying to eat something like you feel like there's something there, but it just tastes dull. So it doesn't taste bad. It just tastes like off. You know, everybody else seems to enjoy it, but it doesn't taste like for the first time, good food tastes god awful to you. But for everybody else, again, it tastes like a simple dish done as perfectly as one could do it as if they had a thousand years of experience and time to make this potato soup. But with that, Lindia sits down at the table and you guys are all sitting around 
And I would describe this house from the inside. Again, very quaint, very simple. But there's like extremely exquisite paintings hanging on the walls that look like they may have taken like, you know, a thousand years to make. Um, but overall, the home itself, it looks like there's really only like a bedroom, a kitchen, a seating area where you could like lounge about by the fire. And then just a bath, like a bed, a secondary bedroom. But um, apart from that, yeah. So they start eating their food as they see you guys starting to eat it. What would you like to do? Uh, after finishing his food, Norhill's going to go around and look, uh, take a closer look at all the paintings. Click is going to activate her one hour language ability at some point. She yeah, would like she to. Use it with the... She didn't use it with the trees. That was Anton, right? Yeah, that was me. Yeah. Uh, I used up all my uses on it for the day. Can she check out the door, too? She wants to see what was written on it. Yeah. So, um, uh, what Norhill sees in the paintings, as, you know, silly as it sounds, it's just a bunch of nature scenes. But one thing that you notice is a lot of these places look very similar and one of the ones that kind of stands out to you most of all and hits you in your heart like an iron spike is when you see a picture of what may just be like the immortal realms version of the mountains that make up the halls of silver and steel. And as you see the same peaks that you've seen your entire life and called home, but from a different vantage point, from a different time and a different dimension, it's like... um. I don't know. I guess it's just moving, but in a strange way, as if it makes you think that like your home realm's not even really yours at this point, or maybe it never was. But it's just a very unearthly experience as you see different elements and areas of Amroth painted with painstaking detail. Um, as far as Klika reading the door goes, um, the different tongues on here, the people writing on the door just kind of label. Uh, essentially that this is a home of friendly travelers and that for anyone who passes through here may call this place home so long as they tend to the fields and treat the lands with respect. So what you notice from the different languages that are writing on it, like the goblin tongue, for instance, that's writing on here, is they just mention from where they're from. And judging by the names of the clans that you've seen mentioned on here, it doesn't sound like any of these clans are ones you've even heard of. So these ones may be from so long ago that it's hard to even understand like what, you know, I mean, it's almost like they're using like different dialects of goblin altogether. But one thing that you notice is that these writings don't seem to be necessarily them writing like to landmark who was here. It almost feels like they're writing to figure out who they were. As the writings are like distant remembrances of it it's as if everybody's coming together to make one giant collage of memories hoping to kind of like spitball and be like oh that's right there were goblins who lived in that mountainside that sounds familiar how would i have known that so it's like this giant like wikipedia page of like all these different article fill-ins and everybody's kind of like cross-referencing and filling each other in but yeah Neat. Anton just looks at the paintings too and he asks them if they've ever even heard of Amara. And with that, Theruvi nods and he says, 
I used to live in Amaroth a long time ago. I lived in a very, very small village in a land called Quarrydale. What? He says, Lindia doesn't have as much of a memory of her past life, but I was a stout follower of Yondala, and for that reason, I have much a clarity when I came to this realm. Why do you ask? You weren't always what you are now? No, no. And he kind of turns to his wife and then turns back with a, a look as if like he doesn't want her to listen to this part. But he says, at one point in time, I was merely a halfling, a worshiper of, of the goddess Yondala, and I died defending my home. And as a good person, I came here. Now, I'm not exactly who I used to be. But from what I remember, I try to behave as I was. This is not my initial body, but I guess something of a purified form. How long ago was this? And he says... Well, one thing that I've come to realize about this place is time is a bit of an anomaly. I don't measure things by time, but as he puts his arm around uh, Lindia, he kind of pulls her and he says, I measure things more of the great memories that I have and the relationships I've built. So I suppose if you'd like to benchmark this point in time for me, you can all perhaps carve your initials somewhere in this house. Maybe, you know, someday. You know. And he just kind of realizes how ugly what he's saying is by saying someday maybe you'll die and come here. But he just like catches himself halfway into that sentence and he says, just so we can remember you. You are, after all, really kind guests and we haven't had people like you around. So if you'd like to carve your names or what have you, like by all means. answer my question but did you build this house no no i came here and met lindia and lindia steps forward and she says i found this place when i was traveling there was nobody here so i just sort of moved in i couldn't read much of what was written on the door but it seemed like a nice enough place and nobody was living here so i just did my best to tend to the farms outside and do my best for, you know, keeping this place quaint, kind, warm, and as welcoming as it was to me for everybody else. I think assuming at this point he's not going to get clear answers to his questions. <laughs> he's just kind of like, alrighty. Um, well, Before we settle in for the night, we have to head to the spire. We, we find our, our land is in grave danger and it may cause danger to this land as well. Is, is there I mean, anything we look, can aware of? I mean, they both look at each other with a look of puzzlement and they say, how, they're like, how, you know, we, we don't mean any disrespect by this, but... How exactly do you feel like our realm would be threatened by 
well, anything, I suppose. A man well, or go ahead, Kika. Um, a really angry metal person is making a big sad metal tower that sort of looks just like your spire and we think that if he finishes it he might be able to either connect our planes completely or sever them completely well, that again they look at each other and they kind of just smirk a couple times and the Ruby says pardon my disrespectful tone here but I I highly doubt anything's going to happen to the spire perhaps it's the fact you've never really been here before but the spire is the bastion it is the centerpiece of 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 this realm of all realms the one itself crafted the spire and is the spire for anything to damage this realm, it would have to be stronger than the one. So you know nothing of someone called the Herald of Steel? And they both just kind of shake their heads. Well, that's disappointing. Well, and one of them kind of, um, with that, Theruvi again chimes in and he says, if you speak of one of the immortals, the only immortal I can think of you may be referring to is named Galtier. But Galtier has long since gone dormant, so no, I highly doubt Galtier has any effect in your realm. Not... He being the immortal of, of the metals, and it's... I guess by extension, the immortal of steel. It's not Galtier. We know that much. Could someone well, become immortal? Not simply be immortal. Can someone take that gift or curse? Are we looking at it? Theruvi and Lindia both look to you with a look of puzzlement as they kind of realize that like the guests they may have right now may be a bunch of loonies and they just kind of like look back and forth amongst you two that have been speaking into Norhill and Jarzak and they just kind of like shrug and say whatever answers you may be seeking I'm afraid you won't get much information from us perhaps the four in the court of the bastion would tell you something but I find it hard to believe you'll be able to get in there. Why? But either way, it does seem like it's a good time for us to go to sleep. So. Yeah, Anton takes a deep breath and sighs, tries to calm himself and says, okay. Well, thank you very much for the food and the rest. Seems to fit well here in this home. And they kind of smile, pull each other in, and in an embrace, he kisses her on the top of her head, and he says, I have found much love and much peace out here. But that is not to say that we do not have our own fair share of foes and evils. 
but we do our best to keep a simple life where very little bothers us. And as long as you keep to yourselves and don't cause much trouble in these realms, trouble is less likely to find you. You have come peacefully to this realm, I imagine. Yes? Yes, we don't need to start trouble. We, we mean to resolve trouble that has found us in our own. We don't start fights. We finish the. <laughs> Nor he'll breaks a chair. Just hammer fist it. <laughs> Poor taste, Norhill. <laughs> All of that, Lindia uh, shows you a room in the back that has uh, a few beds set up, and she guides you into that room and lets you guys drift off into sleep with the ambient heat of the uh, the hearth in the other room, keeping your room pretty well warm through the winter of the evening. Did you guys have anything you wanted to do before going to sleep? Clea will let Jarzak and Aunt, or, uh, Norhill know that sort of just the gist of our conversation it doesn't seem to be much they can tell us. Okay. And at this point, as you guys are kind of winding down for the evening, the tiger that is in the room with you, the ears perk up. And you hear sort of a low bellowing, growling kind of noise for a hot second as it lets out like a hard exhale of breath. And as it like stands up and starts looking around the room, it begins to look towards the window in the corner and just breathes and fogs up the window as it looks outside, as if sensing something approaching. Norhill goes to look out the window beside the tiger. Okay. Also breathing and... on and fogging up the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't really seem like you guys can see much outside of this window. Um, but what you can see with your dark vision as you look out there is the forms of some sort of quadrupedal creatures in the distance kind of roaming into the farm and sort of circling around some of the crops in the cold. As you look out there for a bit longer and focus in, these things almost look like giant boar. And when I tell you giant boar, I mean like big old hippo boar. And as they're kind of perusing around the farm and like sniffing at the air, the tiger again begins to like hiss and make noises <laughs> looking out the window. Um, but yeah. So what would you guys like to do at this point? Perhaps if we ignore them, they will simply go away. Well, going to try to sleep. He doesn't have time for fights with animals. Our hosts say it is important not to cause trouble, so we shall not. And as you guys see those boar begin to like, again, mosey around here and eat the leftover plants that were not harvested as uh, fall approached this evening. Um, you can see one of them has stark white fur to it with bristles on its back that seem to be crispy and ice, like iced over as if this thing is like imbued with the force of cold around it. And it leads this pack of giant boars throughout the farm. And they seem to walk off into the distance, into the dark in about an hour's time. And the tiger seems to uh, calm down a bit and looks to you guys with a look of almost embarrassment, curls up over by the warm side of the wall 
and begins to sleep loudly. Sleeps loudly. Um, yeah, no, once it seems like any danger has passed, Norhill will relax and get ready for bed. And so would that the party head off to sleep and the party will begin embarking their final leg of the journey to the spire in the next episode. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons. Dungeons.